0: Before I start, I just thought, you know, as we were just worshipping, I was just reminded of something the other day, those of us that have got children and grandchildren. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were just sat in the lounge with me, grandson playing with marbles on a marble run and stuff like that. Just just doing what granddads and grandsons do. And just in the middle out of the blue, he says, Grandad, I says, what? I love you. And I thought, oh. Now, you know, um, you know, my love for, for, for Jensen is always there for my children, but for Jensen's always there, even if he runs riot around the house. The first, the first thing he does when he comes in the house is see Nana and goes, we, he goes to our freezer, pulls a bottom drawer out, and uh, won't be tired if I've eaten in his lollies or nicked his lollies. Um, but he goes, and, and I, I thought there was something something good about sharing that this morning you know we can come to God and just run to his freezer at any time no matter where we are what we're what we're going through we have a God we can just run to his bottom freezer and pick out the chocolate ice lolly. and also you know something special when we tell God we love him I've had the courage of this sometimes the world's so busy 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 and Jesus knows that we love him, he's in us, and we're born again, and spirit is in us. Uh, But there's something something really godly and wholesome and right uh, when we just start to say, God, I love you. You know what I mean? And it's not as if... It's probably not as if I even needed to hear that from him, but there's something special in when that happens. And uh, he can raid all the lollies out of my fridge and more. And... uh, think about that one, you know what I mean? Okay, well, this morning, I spoke about it last week when I was leading, I, I said the words, and, and it's something God's showing me and reminding me of, probably because I need it, um, and I feel like God this morning is, is wanting to say to us this morning is, I am the God who sees. Now, we know that, don't we, because God sees everything, he sees everything, and we do and we say, uh, but he really wants us to know that I am the God who sees, and you're going to hear that line so often this morning. I'm trying not to say it too often, but you're going to hear it so often this morning. You might, it might overwhelm you. might get fed up with it, and I'm praying that you are. I pray that you hear that God is a God who sees. Now, God is a God who sees your past. He sees your future. When God says this morning, I am the God who sees, he's talking present tense. I am the God who sees. And I I really think that God is speaking to us personally, speaking to us obviously as a body here at New Life. But predominantly this morning, you know, John Nuttall spoke this morning how God wants to come and serve. And that just melted me. Sometimes we don't see that, do we? Like Jesus... Is on his knees and he wants to wash our feet, and I really, really felt that this morning. You know, when we go through and I have a look at what some of the things that I'm talking about here about God is a God who sees that we that we look at it from the view that God wants to minister to us and He wants to wash our feet and He wants to minister to us. So it's it's going to be, you know, to me it was personal. You know, when I, sh- when I speak here, you know, I can't speak out of something that I've learnt. I've got to speak of something where I've experienced in, in Him. And, and that's what God's working through in me. Now, we as humans see from a narrow field of vision, even with our two eyes, our 20, 20 vision helps us assess how near or close an object is. If you've only got one eye, it's difficult to work out depth, field of vision. When there's an accident of any kind or an incident, it's not unusual for witness statements or observations to be different because each person is looking from a different viewpoint. So often, you know, everybody's looking from a different, you know, 360 degree area. We all may witness the same incident, but you all may have a slight different view. And when somebody comes around and takes a witness statement, often you don't get the bigger picture until you've got all the witness statements because other people see things differently, don't they? Often also, sometimes, even what we see is clouded by looking through the window of our own experience or circumstances. So sometimes we view situations and Watch people and we see things through whatever we're experiencing or have experienced, and that sometimes clouds our vision. As I said, for the last couple of weeks, I've been constantly reminded that I am the God who sees how deep God sees, how deep, how wide how high he sees us, particularly in our current circumstances. And like you said, he sees is in present tense, not yesterday or tomorrow, but today. And I just wanna try and unpack that. I've put myself three points down here, but the three points are primarily for me to keep on track. So, uh, cause I've been all over the place with this this week. Um, And uh, it just keeps me on track. So I've put it down, because I'm an IT guy, uh, I've put it down to three W's, if you like, three W's. And if you're in IT, three W's means something. That means World Wide Web. So the first one is world. Now that's a surprise, World Wide Web, world. In Job 24, Job, going through a desperately tough time, says of God in chapter 28, verse 24, For he looks to the ends of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens. God sees everything, doesn't he? The world can only see as it sees, but God sees everything. We only have a narrow perspective. Being born again of the Spirit of God, we begin to see things from another perspective, from his perspective. And even if we could... Fly like a drone and see things from the top, and see every angle of a given situation. We still wouldn't see it like God sees it. So God sees not just our world, but He sees the whole universe. You know, we have a clear, we haven't had many clear nights, have we? These this, these last few weeks. But when God sees, um, when we look out, if it, it's it's really really clear. Uh, one of the things I'm constantly reminded of is, you know, when you see the stars, that, that amazes me. And we've spoken about this before, haven't we? And people like myself get fascinated by that. You know, all these stars, there's hundreds of more stars, as many stars as there are humans, and probably more. Well, those stars are near and far different distances, and the light the, the, the light moves fast, But some of of the light that you see takes millions of years to reach us. So even though we see that star, it could be that it's not actually there. So it's almost we're living in a... Oh, my mind goes, whoa, wait a minute now, that star is... The light from that I'm seeing six years ago, and that one's ten years ago. So you never really see the stars in real time, but God does. He sees it all. He doesn't... He sees... From the ends of the earth, he sees the whole universe. What I'm trying to see is that when God sees, he sees. Do you know what I mean? So when he looks at us, it's amazing that God sees us as an individual. And not only does he see all this, and not only did he fling these stars into space, he says, not her falls from my head without him knowing about it. Now, that's some seeing, isn't it? That's something to get excited about. So when I struggle with stuff... And when things go through my mind and when I really when I find, find that life's heavy and hard there's a God who sees and he sees in that way. And we can encourage that how God is so big that he sees that way. Not only that though God sees deeper doesn't he? Again in Job 24 Verse 21, for his eyes are on the ways of man and he sees all his steps. You know, the world tries to keep an eye on everything we do. Good place to go to Google for statistics, isn't it? So here are some. According to data collected, by PreciseSecurity.com. China, the United States, and Germany are the countries with the largest number of surveillance cameras in the world. China is the undisputed leader with four times more surveillance cameras installed in its territory than the United States. So that's a lot of eyes. I wrongly thought that England was high on that list. Um, I was surprised it wasn't up there for such a small country. But listen to this statistic. If you look at the number of CCTVs per cities in the world instead of countries, you'll find this really staggering. I nearly fell off my chair. London, 68.4 cameras. Don't sound a lot, does it? Listen to this bit. Per thousand people. Staggering. How the world wants to keep his eye on you. That's over four times more than the next contender on the list, which only has fifteen point five six cameras per thousand people. Somebody sits down and works all this out. And that's Atlanta. Singapore, 15.25 cameras, 15 and a quarter cameras per thousand people. Abu Dhabi, 13. Chicago, 13. So London has four times, over four times as many cameras per thousand people than the next, sit- next city on the list. So, does anybody here watch Hunted? Yeah. Scary, isn't it? <laughs> I'd love to do that now. I'm sure I'd outwit them all. But hey, uh, don't, eh? don't try it in London. Keep out of London. Well, you know they have. If any of you watched Hunted, they release ten people or around ten people. They've done it with celebrities before, but uh, just normal people at the moment. And they release ten people, and these top agent, this top agency, has got to track you down within two weeks, uh, and then, and they do get you, and having a mobile phone is one of the worst things that you can have. Having a car, if you get on every, any A road, on any major A road or any motorway, immediately they can track your car. They track your car whether you're good or bad and indifferent. They can just tap in a number plate and they can see where you've been for the last 12 months and they can do it live and they can look at all that stuff. Get on a bus, you're not even safe there. You know, we've got all this GDPR stuff going around, General Data Protection Regulation. <laughs> 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 oh, we're being watched. <clears throat> Every train station, tram, bus, high street, cash machine, shopping centre, most shops record our movements. And if you ring the doorbell on my front door, I can even see you. Yeah, I'm a -a knock-a-door-run fun killer. (laughs) Yeah. Somebody called me a fun killer at a party once. Ooh. It comes from your own family. It's really ooh. We've moved from pin numbers to voice recognition to fingerprint recognition and now even facial recognition. Smartphones, Ian calls them dumb phones, but they really aren't. They're pretty clever, aren't they? I was shocked a couple of weeks ago when I rolled over in bed. I thought, what time is it? And I rolled over, flits over my phone that was on the, the floor. And mine is in, it's in facial recognition mode, and it's dark, and it recognised me. Now, that is scary, isn't it? <laughs> that is really, really scary. You know, facial recognition has been around for quite a long time. I was um, in my IT support days uh, where I used to work for myself. I still do one day a week, but I work for a company in Rochdale now. Um, but you get, you get to see a lot of places, and in Rochdale's shopping centre, I used to do some work. And uh, as an IT, you become invisible. I know that's hard to believe with my size and my personality and my stature. Um, but you become invisible because you're working under desks. People talk generally and you get to hear a lot of stuff. Um, but this was in the security area where there's loads of cameras on a wall. And, you know, when you take pictures of your phone, you see this facial recognition square thing that follows you around. Well, they've been doing that for years. We think it's only like in the last you know, last maybe three, four, five years that you've had this little box that can track your face. But they've been doing that for years. And I found that mesmerising. Look, you know, these security guys are looking at rows of cameras. Every entrance of, of the shopping centre is covered. And it, and, it, and it picks... And it's, mainly that is for security reasons as well. But it recognises your face. I'm staggered. So you could see how a bloke that they were keeping an eye on, he would go and hide behind a pillar, and that square would stay there behind that pillar until he showed up again. Now, if he'd have crouched down because he knew the camera was there, and he popped up somewhere else. That square would have followed followed him, and it said, "No, he's popped up here." And you think, so we we think we we think we're not being watched, but even when you go into a shopping centre, and the other main reason every shopping centre does this. The reason it has to know facial recognition is because it has to count the number of people that come through the doors, because they have a contractual obligation to the shop owners to say that we will guarantee so many people coming through this shopping center, so we will guarantee that you'll have an audience of people that come shopping. Now, that that surprised me. I didn't even know that existed. Um, And we've got GDPR today, so I don't know how we stand with that. But this, it still still happens. We're traced everywhere. Uh, so, why am I saying this? We can look at what God's doing, and we can look at what the world is doing, how it wants to see us and all like that, but I don't know why we're really that bothered, because we've got a God who sees everything. Do you know what I mean? They may just have my face and my thumbprints and... I don't know my pin number, but God knows everything. He sees everything. So we shouldn't be surprised and we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't get upset. We shouldn't get worried about it. It's the way the world's going. But remember, God is a God who sees, and He doesn't see us as the world sees us. Here's some fascinating things that are. Vision that Ezekiel saw is fascinating, I find. Refer to it. He refers to them as cherubim. Ezekiel 10, verse 12. Read that sometimes, that whole. Well, read the whole of chapter 10. I'm just going to speak at verse 12. You know, you think about all these cameras everywhere. Uh, Look at this cherubim. Their entire bodies, including their backs, their hands, their wings, were completely full of eyes as were their four wheels. So God's no stranger to eyes, is he? Wow. You know, these, these. I mean, when you read that, it's quite, this is probably as graphic as it can be that these creatures that are surround God's throne, there's cherubim and seraphim, and they're full of eyes. God is a God who sees. And those are creatures that God's made. <laughs> so he sees even better than that. But the wheels, when God speaks and moves, the wheels move. They're like interlock with each other, it says. And they're full of eyes. What, what's all that about? Because God is a God who sees. It's just an expression of who God is. God is a God who sees. He's holy, magnificent, mighty. He's far above anything. That sees us in, other, in different ways and for different reasons and for purposes. But God is a God who sees Sees everything we go through. God sees the good, the bad and the ugly. His eyes are on the ways of man and he sees all his steps. He sees right into our hearts and he sees man's mortis. He sees the sin which is going against God. Romans 3 verse 23. He sees that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He sees it. John 3, verse 16, you know it so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Shall not perish, but be born again of the Spirit of God. Shall not perish, but be healed, restored saved, forgiven amazing isn't it so those who believe in Jesus Christ we are totally free from our sin we are set free from our sin, guilt and shame a freedom purchased by Jesus who took it upon himself over 2,000 years ago now shed his blood and died and rose again so in his death we too could rise with him now there's a God who sees I don't know i getting excited because God sees. And he saw that and he sent his son Jesus. He knew that we couldn't get there on our own steam. He knew that we couldn't get there of our own volition. We know it's impossible to please God unless you're born again by the Spirit of God. And I don't know where you are this morning. I suspect that most of you here have made that choice. To accept Jesus into your life. But you need to know that if you haven't, or if you're hovering there, or if you found yourself coming here, you're not too sure why. That God sees your struggles, He sees where you've been, He sees where you're going to. But He says, Come to me and I'll set you free. I have a purpose for you. And all your sin is forgiven through what He's done on the cross for you. And it may just be that this morning you need to make that decision. Or maybe you've made that decision in the past, but you've, you've just moved somewhere in a different journey, a different way, and this morning you're just coming because you feel like God's speaking to you again. And maybe you need to make that commitment to follow and to serve and to surrender to a God who sees where you're at. He sees us as now, when we're born again, part of his radiant church, Ephesians 5. His radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. Now we know that, don't we as Christians? But I really feel like God wants to remind us that he sees us as his church without stain without wrinkle or any other blemish. Ephesians 5 verse 27 continues with, with, instead, she will be holy and without fault. God sees me today and he sees me holy and without fault through what Jesus Christ has done. And if that's not something to get excited about every day, then I don't know what is. I trip up every day. I know you find that hard to believe. Because I, f- I float. But I don't. The enemy comes with his thoughts, and he comes to you with his thoughts, and he comes to you with his observations. You know, it's... A, you know, it's <clears throat> Often the things we see are the truth. Well, that's what Satan did in the Garden of Eden. He took a truth and he put a twist on it. And that's what God does. Oh, sorry, That's what Satan does. He takes the truth and he puts a twist on it. So, you know, God sees where we're at. But he sees us through his son Christ Jesus. I think it's great, isn't it, because Jesus prays for the ones, when he prays to God the Father, he prays for the ones that that God the Father has given him. Now it takes me back to what I was talking to about Jensen this morning. That, you know, me and Sue had a son and a daughter. My son had a child. Then the son was born of us. But the grandchild was given to us by our children. It's a special relationship. You begin to see how a relationship works in God's kingdom. So when. The children that God has given Jesus turn around and say, Abba, Father, I love you. That's holy. That's a holy moment. That's wonderful. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. So we've spent a bit of time on the first W. Second one, in W, is works. I think I talk about this probably most times when I get up. Um, in James 2, we read that, verse 17. A faith that does not do things is a dead faith. And, uh, ooh, a faith that does not do things is a dead faith. Um, I'm reading that from a New Life version. It's not from us, but there's a Bible called the New Life version. With this new life we are received, born again in the spirit, of the Spirit of God, we no longer find ourselves satisfying our own selfish needs and desires. Instead, this love we have received causes us to step out in obedience and love into the things he prepared for us to do. Ephesians 2, for we are God's workmanship. NIV says we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, Which God prepared in advance for us to do. And James quite succinctly says, Faith without works is dead. So God sees, doesn't He? God sees our heart, sees what we do and what we get ourselves involved in. And yet we have, on the other hand, on the other end of the spectrum, we're reading in Revelation 2. In one of the seven letters sent to the seven churches was to the Ephesians, in which Jesus commends the church for their good works. And as I was putting that down, I thought, that's interesting. Ephesians 2 tells us that um, we are God's handiworks prepared in advance, which is preferred in, preferred in a, a prepared in advance for us to do. Well, prepared as well. And Revelation 2, he commends the church... Although well, good works, but he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them to be false. You have persevered, and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. So the Ephesian church was a hard-working group of believers. Also, to their credit, they were gatekeepers of the truth. And they did not compromise with evildoers, and they showed patient endurance in bearing up under hardship. However, Jesus also notes their shortcoming. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. So they're a hard-working people. But they no longer have the same passion for Christ as when they first believed. And you could say that works Without faith is dead, because Jesus says it's like filthy rags. But this is not what Jesus is saying here. He's talking to believers here. The Ephesians certainly had faith. The issue was their works. Their work was no longer motivated primarily by love. So you see, so I look at those two. Ephesians 2 and Revelation 2 you see that faith without works is dead so you step into works and you're reminded that God gives you a talent and it may be only one talent but he expects you to bring back to him a talent if he gives you four you're going to be busy and he expects four he gets to each one of us as is necessary what we do we look at one and four and make a difference but Jesus sees one and four as the same. If you're faithful in the one, you're as blessed as the person who is as faithful in the four. And sometimes we look at people who've got four and we want to be like them and we we feel somehow that we've not met the mark because we've only got the one or we feel we've only got the one and they've got the four or the ten or whatever because we make that measurement. But God doesn't make that measurement he trusts you with the one. And you serve him with the one talent until he gives you another and another at his pace. So you've got the two ends of the spectrum and sometimes, oh, you know, faith that works is dead, but works without faith. But often what the enemy does, and he's very good at that, It makes us busy, 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 you know. And I'm not just talking about church life here. In fact, I'm talking about your home life. I'm talking about your Christian walk. Sometimes, well, often, it's not just sometimes. I think it's practically all the time. The enemy will come and he'll put stuff there to distract you and take you off the focus. And before long, I got called grumpy this week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> the trouble we getting big time grumpy in the flesh it, and, and when you get grumpy with your wife it takes a while to, get, you've, you've to dig yourself out of it <laughs> and so Sue says well if you weren't grumpy you wouldn't find yourself in this situation you wouldn't find yourself having to apologise and grovel And I says, well, I don't know how i get here. If I I saw it before I jumped in, then I wouldn't jump in it. And I've been married for so many years now, you would think that I'd learn. And I have, so I don't fall in it as much. But uh, um, ask me grandson if granddad's grumpy. But we can be grumpy in the spirit too. Do you know what I mean? So the Bible says grumbling sometimes. Grumpy. And when we get really, really busy, if you're grumpy in the flesh, ask yourself the question why you're grumpy. If you're grumpy in the spirit, when I'm talking about grumpy in the spirit, it's doing stuff that God's asking you to do. Or doing things that you think God's asking you to do and you shouldn't be doing. So that's probably why you're grumpy. That's probably why we grumble. And sometimes we take take up so much that our grumpiness and our grumbling turns us in, well, it it shows itself in a lack of love. That's what Jesus is talking about, your first love. Mm, That can mean so many different things for each one of us. But first love, you know, get your, often our relationships and the way we view things is because we're not spending it with the one. And I know that every time I speak, you know what I'm going to speak about. It's about spending it with the one. And I have to keep telling that to you, and to myself, because I need to listen to that myself, more than you. Probably. (laughs) That spending time with the one will reduce your grumpiness and your grumbling. And it'll let you look at things different. I thought Darren did an excellent preach The other week, about um, judgment and how we judge each other, or how we make judgments, and I thought that's a difficult. I want to preach that Ian, would you? But I thought he did it really, really well because you know we make judgments because we see with our own eyes and we hear and we smell, and the enemy comes along and he says, "Yeah, that's the truth," but did he really say that? Did you really see that? And sometimes that may be the truth, but you have to, inside, in the Spirit, look at it from a God perspective. Even if you could hover like a drone over that situation and see the full picture, it probably wouldn't help. You have to go to the cross of Jesus Christ and you've got to let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Many years ago, I had an issue with someone in church. I know you find that hard to believe. And this person wound me up some at big style. I was young and immature. Well, no, I wasn't, but <laughs> I was old and immature. Yeah. <clears throat> but I'm sure we all have those moments. Maybe not just in church, but this happened to be in church. It's, you know, you got. To, and I struggled with. Well, I, I couldn't even. Every time he opened his mouth, it used to annoy me. And I used to go home. Well, most of the time, it used to annoy me. And I would say things, but Lord, I love the guy. He, I'm the God who sees. I love the guy. And I spoke to God, and I spoke, and I really, really struggled with this. And I thought, he needed sorting. <laughs> He needed his <laughs> It wasn't Ian, by the way, just in case you're making a judgment there. Um, but w- you know what's going to happen, don't you? When you come before God, and I just thought, oh, this is not right, Lord. This is not right. This is not right, Lord. So, it, and God killed it. And I'd heard him say about this. There was this one moment where God says, but I love him. And when I see him, he's without spot or blemish. But you know, in that moment, God sees what your struggle is and he's, he always has an answer. And he ministered to me at that moment when I just laid it all out, I kind of almost shouted it out And God killed that argument, dead. And the spirit of God changed in me, changed something in me. And it's extraordinary when I looked at that person next to that. I couldn't believe what was exuding out of me. Just a grace, a wide birth, a wide channel of tolerance and grace and mercy. And it changes your relationship as well in other areas, as well as that. Not can hear that written down. Where am I going with that? Now I've talked about the two sides of the spectrums in works. I think what God wants to encourage us is this morning to bear that in mind, but as an aside, God God sees where you're at and he sees the work you're doing. And I want to really encourage you because sometimes, you know, some of you, well, a lot of us are working and nobody really sees it. You serve in the background often unnoticed and seemingly unappreciated. God says, I'm the God who sees. I'm the God who sees your generosity. Not just your giving, but your giving in time. You're giving in prayer, you're giving in lots of different ways. And I think rather than just talk about two spectrums, you know, make sure you are doing works and make sure you're not doing too too much, which is quite a difficult one, really. To And I think, really, we shouldn't focus on the two opposite ends of the spectrums, although Jesus puts it in the Bible for us to be worried about. But if he's walking in his presence, then you'll go right down the centre of that line. And God is saying he sees... He sees your heart. He sees that you're motivated by a heart of love. And I God really, you know, he comes this morning, he wants to serve, he wants to encourage us. And primarily this morning he wants to say, I see. And I see what others don't see. And I see sometimes that you struggle in that as well. And I see sometimes that it can be discouraging. I see that sometimes you can yourself to others and look at what you're doing don't measure yourself against another. just continue to continue to be obedient with whatever i 'm giving you and that way you 're continuing to store treasures in heaven. Jesus talks about giving do not letting the left hand know what the right hand's doing it 's not as if he really is using that as a as a parable. Now people won't see what you're doing, but God sees. And there may be some of us that are discouraged here this morning, tired, weary, because the enemy has made you focus on the fact that you might be a bit unappreciated. and we, we're humans, we do that, and we don't or we're not very good at. I think we're quite good at here, appreciating one another, but we can always do that more, can't we? What God's saying is, if you're in that place where you're serving, you're being faithful, He's saying, Well done. And He's encouraged you to keep running that race even though nobody sees. And He's coming alongside you and saying, I love you and I'm here to serve. And I love the way that you serve. So I'm the God who sees. The third W, how long have I been speaking here? And it was... An hour and a half. You know, last night when I finished this off, I only had three pages. Um, so, you won't believe I did this. I increased the font size and it went to five. It was three pages, and I, 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 it was font eleven or something like size eleven. I put it up to sixteen, and I went, well, "That'll do me." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <but> no, sir. <laughs> well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the other side, the funny side of that is I, I kind of giggled when I did it, and I said, "Lord, look, I've got five pages here," and uh, and we are and he's and he. I just had the excuse because I can't see very well. You know, as you get older, you notice that your font gets bigger. Yeah. And the third one is where. I am the God who sees where you're at and what you're going through. Life can be a struggle. All of us here this morning know that to be true. And at some time or another, I've had difficult, hard times. We can't avoid that. And just because we've become Christians doesn't direct us around that struggles will find us even if we try to avoid them. It can be financial issues, health issues. And I think God I, I know that God wants to minister this morning. I could tell from the worship this morning. And uh, that's why I was looking at the time, because I know that God wants to minister to us in a personal way. So 10 minutes less preaching gives 10 minutes for him just to minister. And I don't, I'm do not i not sure what that's going to look like. Um, I think he'll probably do it just where we are, minister to us personally. One of the things I've got down here, which I felt... Jesus was really, heart was warming too. His relational conflict things that go wrong at times in our relationships, in our families, and even our church family. Someone you care about passes away. Relational conflicts. The list could go on and there is no limit to the struggles we experience in life. We may get discouraged and even depressed. As believers, difficult times affect us just as they do everyone else. God is the God who sees your struggles. And some of you this week have said to yourself, God, do you not see where I'm at? You know He does, but you need to know it deep, deep in your heart. He sees your affliction. He don't just see what you're wearing and what you look like on the outside. don't just see the expression on your face. He sees you entirely. Not like a CCTV camera which only has one dimension. He sees you completely, inside out, entirely, all at the same time. He knows every thought, every imagination, even before it's formed says that in his word even before it's formed in his mind God sees like I said before in present tense others may not be aware of your struggle but God knows so when the others are gone when the door is closed when we think we're all alone the eyes of the almighty God still sees you So this morning, as John spoke during the worship, God comes to serve you this morning. That's, that's a humbling place, isn't it? The disciples says, no, no, no. No, Rabbi, we should be washing your feet. And Jesus says, I wanna wash your feet this morning. And for each one of us, that may look different. You know, God always has a solution to your problem. We may not always want to see, hear it, but maybe for a few of you this morning or for some of you, 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 what you're struggling with, you may be struggling with for a long while and it's just driving you absolutely nuts. It's driving you up the wall. And sometimes you feel as if you come to the end, you may feel you come to the end of your tether, but you know in God there's always a solution. Now often when, when you know, people speak about the God of seas, they will take you to Genesis chapter 16, that story about Hagar, who got pregnant, had a child from Abram, Sarai, his wife, Had a word that she would be with child, but that weren't happening anytime soon. So Hagar lay with Abram and she got a child. And in culture at the time, to bear a child to the master of the house like that, especially, you had to, you know, you were granted favour. It was it was a big thing, and I suppose it is to a certain degree in these days. You know, bearing a child to Abram was a big thing. It gave you a higher status. Hagar was just a servant maid assigned to Sarai. And it gave her status. So that caused a problem, caused jealousy. And her life got so difficult, so bad, that she wanted to run away. Is it funny how we run away sometimes from our struggles and from our problems? But Hagar couldn't see any other option. She had nowhere else to turn. She was at the end of a tether. And she, she legged it, basically. Even though she was with child, out into the wilderness, out into the desert, with no support, worried about what was going to happen. You know, there were thieves and vagabonds and all kinds of stuff. But her plight was so desperate that she legged it. Despite knowing the dangers, she felt she had no other option to leg it. And she did. But you know the story of Hagar, she has a testimony I have the God who sees me, she said and God saw her in her plight where she was and she just gave out her heart to God but then what God does is he gave her a solution and he told her to go back now that is something difficult, isn't it? To go back from word to the place which caused you so much pain, so much strife. God sent her back, and in obedience, she did that, and she was well blessed. But that was a journey. She had to make that choice. Now, God, what I'm trying to bring out there is God is a God who sees where you are and what you struggle with, and he has a solution Sometimes, you have to obedient, be obedient to the solution he's giving you. We Sarah it was a relationship issue. And often in relationships, when things don't go right, we just want to leg it, we want to get out there, don't we? We're not doing this, we're not doing that. It can be relationships with your family, your children, with your partner, with your husband, with your wife, with another member in your family, I don't know. I'm just picking some out of the hat there. But it can be a relationship with workmates and it can be a relationship with church. And often, when people sometimes leave church, it's because of a relationship issue. But God is a God who sees. And I think this morning, if your issue is relationship, just have a word with God and see what he's saying to you about that. He's saying, don't run away." Go back to where it started. I'll bring you into a different place. Anyway, I'm at the risk of going on too much, so what I'm going to do is just, uh, let's just give God five or ten minutes. I feel somewhat not right about saying that, give God five or ten minutes, but let's just give him moments this morning. God is a God who sees.